the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. A lot to get to here on this Wednesday. We've got some significant injury news, some more suspensions from the Michigan-Michigan State fight. We are going to take a look at some of the biggest games in Week 10 with a unique twist. We'll get to that in just a little bit. And we finally have all the October action in the books. It is time, of course, to hand out our Cover 3 player of the month for the month of October, our team of the month, our coach of the month, and the game of the month, plus the monthly edition of the Fornellis. All of that coming up before we get out of here, but we begin with significant injury news going into a historic battle. The number one versus number one battle. Never in college football playoff history have we had the number one team in the college football playoff rankings play against the number one team in the AP poll in a single game. And that is exactly what we have. The battle for number one in Athens between Tennessee and Georgia got a significant development this week as it has been confirmed that Nolan Smith, we mentioned on the Instant Reaction Show, he went out with an injury. That would be something we'd keep an eye on. He's not only out for Tennessee. He is out for the rest of the season due to a torn pectoral muscle. Uh, a senior who decided to come back instead of joining the 75 Georgia defensive players who went to the NFL draft and were selected by NFL teams last year. He was a, a big part of this group. So we need to look at this in the immediate future. How does this impact the way that you look at Tennessee's offense against Georgia's defense? And then the next piece of this, regardless of what you think the outcome is going to be, uh, what are the other games on the schedule? How does this impact uh, Georgia moving forward in those national title hopes that the Bulldogs have? Um, Who's up next? I mean, there's a lot of layers to this. Nolan Smith, very significant. What do we make of where Georgia goes from here? I, I think it, it is potentially significant uh, because Nolan Smith, among Georgia's guys who have like at least 50 pass rushes, was leading uh, their team in pressure rate. But at the same time, if you've watched Georgia this year, which obviously we do, it's our job, they have not been a good team as far as getting pressure on the quarterback already. Like, 
pressuring the quarterback is not something that this Georgia defense has relied upon so far, even though they've had a lot of big leads in games and a lot of opportunities to pass rush. They're like 110th or 115th I saw this morning in sack rate, and their pressure rate is in like the 70s. So they have been more of a coverage disruption defense than they actually have been a pure pass rush defense. But they, in order to create that pass rush, they might have to blitz more against Tennessee, and that could change some of the things they do on the back end with their coverage stuff. So it, I can't say it won't have an impact, but they have not been relying on just pass rush this year from Nolan Smith. Yeah, they, they don't have a great pass rush, but the fact is he is their leading sacker, and he does have the most tackles for loss on the team. So even if it's not getting to the QB, he is one of the most disruptive forces they have on the defense. But to your point, I do think Georgia's philosophy defensively is keep the quarterback in the pocket more than get the quarterback, and then we've got guys who can cover and keep things in front of them and you know take care of it that way. But I do think, like for this matchup this week, I do think that's a major loss. But at the same time, the way Tennessee's offense works, nobody's really getting much pressure on Hendon Hooker to begin with because the ball's out of there pretty quick. So I don't know. It definitely – I Nolan Smith is one of the best players on that defense. Losing him hurts. Georgia's probably got another monster they could throw right in there who will be just as good. But I, it's hard to say it's not going to have an impact. But I don't think it's going to have a huge impact, but it definitely kind of makes me wonder about this weekend. Somebody stepping in for their first game as a, as a starter in a bigger role against this Tennessee offense, that's not going to be great. There could be some mistakes. Yeah, I thought the same thing, Tom, when I was thinking about it was from the standpoint of, well, they're just going to fill it in with another four or five star. The talent drop won't be that bad. But what I do think is massive is the loss in leadership. Uh, somebody who's played in a lot of these games before, who's been in, you know, had significant roles in national championship games. That experience is something that, you know, we see it all have to happen all the time in Bama, Georgia, some of these Ohio State. Like when there's younger players that have to step up, there's sometimes that, the experience gap is something that takes getting used to. And and it is something that George will have to overcome being in the right spot. And if you're playing against a, a team like Tennessee, I guarantee they're going to try to exploit any weakness they can find. And if it's a, a new guy in there, they'll try to put you on an Island and take advantage of you, whether it's in the run game or the pass game, they'll try to exploit that as best they can. So whoever's filling in for Nolan Smith is going to get tested early and often, I think in this game. I, I'm sorry, Chip. Go ahead. I was going to say his is listed back up on the depth chart as MJ Sherman. I've also seen it be floated that this becomes something that really changes the role uh, for some of the the talented freshmen who've already been trying to to make a splash in this team and players that might be asked to take on a little bit more responsibility. Maybe you start to shift around what you do in the secondary as well. He was the you know strong. He was the same. He was the strong side linebacker, but. And I what's the personnel look like? Because I, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, the rest of that linebacking crew, you know, we've, we've got some, some some youth out there, some players who haven't played in games like this. And this is, to your point, Danny, going against an up-tempo offense. Like, you're going to have to be constantly dialed in at all times, and Tennessee's going to try to exploit. They're going to try to find the mismatch every single time, and it might be possible that that mismatch is Nolan Smith's backup. This is why you recruit so well, right? So that if you do have injuries, you have the depth to survive some of the natural attrition that comes with football because football is a, a it's a collision game, not a contact game. Uh, our producer Jordan also produces the Junkyard Dogcast on the twenty four seven Sports Network. You know, Rusty and Kip and all those guys, and uh, he has uh, uh, Dumas Johnson as likely to be in there for Georgia. So 
That makes some sense. I I am curious as to how aggressive Georgia is actually going to be. Uh, Georgia has been a strong red zone defense so far this year. Uh, they have not allowed very many explosive plays at all. Now, occasionally, but like it's it's it feels a little bit more flukish to me. Um, and one of the things Tennessee has done a great job of in, in its home games is they are an ultra-tempo team. And check us out on YouTube. I did, I did a little 60-second Tennessee explainer uh, on their offense, which, I mean, it's hard to explain a college ball offense in six seconds, but shorts are going to short. Uh, at home, Tennessee does a great job of using motion and checking the play. Even though we think of them as a great tempo team, they do a lot of like check with me, look at the sidelines type stuff. Georgia is going to have an insane crowd here. This is going to be the biggest Georgia game at home probably since maybe that Notre Dame game uh, four or five years ago when, when they debuted the lights, remember? And it was like, oh my gosh, Georgia's got lights. And the, the, the recruits at this game are not going to play in the game, but like that just kind of tells you the atmosphere they're going to have. Like Kirby's bringing the entire country in for a visit this weekend. I'm wondering how well Tennessee can make adjustments at the line of scrimmage to their motion, right? Is it just all hand signals to the sideline? Do they disrupt that at all? Because several times against Alabama and a couple times against Tennessee, they checked and created an explosive. How well will that work on the road? Against Pitt, it didn't work quite as well. You know, it used to be just a little like inside football. It used to be to get the defense to declare what they were going to do, you'd use a double cadence, right? You'd see the guy kick his leg and then stop and then look over. Hooker fake claps with the best of them. Right. And now, but I think now the trend is what you're talking about, but is to motion first because that's a newer look. Because I think defense has started to catch on. They wouldn't show it as much. They'd try to disguise to the last minute. And then they would adjust again after the lookover. Now with the motion, it's a little bit dicier. And I think defenses are still trying to catch up to that because with the motion, it declares man or zone pretty straight up. I mean, it's pretty obvious. If you're playing man, you have to run with the guy in motion. So if you know that, then you can adjust your play accordingly, get you a great man beater. And if you don't, a lot of times you get you know a complimentary play for the zone and it gets you in the best possible situation as an offense. So that's why they're doing it. To Bud's point, though, about the, the crowd noise and the cadence, it's just going to be – It's it, that, to me, could be a significant factor. We saw the factor played in the Alabama game for Tennessee. Now it's Tennessee's turn to see if they can communicate and get all the things they want to do on the offensive side of the ball in an atmosphere where you're not going to be able to talk to the guy next to you in the huddle. One other thing about making your defense about making the defense declare early is because of the width of Tennessee's receivers, right? They are running sort of the like the most like strictest form of the Baylor Brile stuff, right? They're so wide, they run a lot of that slot choice concept stuff. It is just hard to disguise your coverage against these guys because if you're disguising, you're you're generally trying to make the make the offense think, okay, this guy could be covering one of these two guys. He could be man, he could be zone. When Hooker goes to that fake clap stuff, or when they go when, when they motion, it can make it all the more difficult for you to stay in your disguise. So you're having to come out of your disguise earlier, and that's simplifying uh, for the offense. You're not necessarily knowing exactly what they're in, but you're eliminating certain things that they could be in just because of physics. Right? It's like, okay, yeah, they can't be running this because this guy doesn't can't teleport. He actually has to run. Uh, David Ubbin at The Athletic had one of those candid coaches style breakdowns going into the Georgia-Tennessee game, and some of the coaches, uh, coordinators and head coaches who have gone against 
Georgia and Tennessee this year, they floated to him two uh, ideas. Number one, we've got a change in defensive play caller. Dan Lanning's gone. Glenn Schumann now has the responsibilities. And then part two, he may be adjusting some of that uh, aggressiveness versus not aggressiveness, complex versus not complex, because we don't have a ton of juniors and seniors. You don't have Nicobe Dean. You don't have Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, like uh, Trayvon Walker. The, the, the group that they had was so special, not just because of the talent, but because of the experience and what they could handle as you've had to have that turnover, you remain as talented, I guess you could argue, in terms of four-star and five-stars, but it is a more simplified approach already, which as I'm using the Nolan Smith injury, I'm like, well, they it's not like they were running something that was so complex that whoever's thrust into that position is going to be lost, right? It was already cooked down a little bit for the, uh, for the group, but immense amount of uh, pressure on these safeties, immense amount of pressure on the entire defense. Jalen Carter getting healthier also is a, a big part of that. We're, we're going to break. I mean, let's, we, we've got a lot to get to, but as we haven't even really talked about this game a whole lot, where's, where's everybody sitting on it? And locks are coming up tomorrow, Thursday, 11 a.m. If you want to see, we're going to give a full like preview breakdown. Some of us might have locks on it, but as the week's gone on and as you've marinated on this, uh, on this showdown, What's the what? What's the thinking? Let's, how about this? What's the one key, if we haven't already mentioned it here? Red zone defense for Georgia. Yeah, like, for, like Tennessee, in, before garbage time, has scored a touchdown on one hundred percent of its goal to go opportunities. <laughs> That's Hooker, right? I think and it's Hooker being twenty five years old, total mature. <laughs> it's also playing most of your big games so far at home and having a, a good scheme with good players and and having Hooker for sure. If Georgia forces them to you know, kick some field goals down there or some fourth and da- fourth down stops, yeah, I think I that's also, a rookie. I wonder, like Tennessee's defense, we know I've talked about, it, has been very good against the run this year. Will they be able to do that against Georgia? Against that offensive line, how will they hold up in that? I think that could be a key to this game because if Georgia's able to run the ball, then maybe they keep that offense off the field and they keep the game more their tempo, the way they want to play. Keep that defense rested. And maybe that way, you know, like you're not going to stop Tennessee because they're going to find a mismatch. They're going to you're going to make a wrong decision with what they're doing because they're trying to put you in bad spots and somebody's going to screw up at some point. They're going to hit a big play, get a touchdown out of it. But can you at least limit what they're able to do with by staying, you know, offense on the field? And also, if Tennessee's weakest part is the secondary defensively, can Georgia expose that? A.D. Mitchell still not practicing yesterday uh, per report. If I'm Tennessee, I'm playing balls out here. I am blitzing the hell out of Georgia because, look, Georgia is number two in the country in pressure rate allowed so far this year. And they are number one in the country offensively in standard down success rate. It's a Bill Connolly stat. Basically, like, are you staying ahead of the chains? Are you creating second and five? Or, or, you know, like second and six, second and seven? Are you creating third and three? I, I think Georgia, if you just let them grind you and move the ball slowly, cool. If I'm Tennessee, I want to play this game in the 40s or the 50s. I do not want to play a game where 30 points wins it. I'm cool. If Georgia can hit some explosive plays on me, fine. I'll allow that. But I want to get some tackles for loss, some, maybe some turnovers, get you off schedule, create some punts. And I want to play a high possession game. I want like not like hold the ball, but I mean like a high number of possessions here. I think that really favors what Tennessee wants to do. So like you if you're Tennessee, you cannot sit back. Like I know your corners and safeties have been exposed. I think you got to just risk that Stetson misses some of those guys or that Georgia's receivers maybe aren't ready to ball on you and see if you can get some pressure, get them off schedule. So far nobody has. I think it's that and and also for Georgia 
withstanding the initial Tennessee onslaught, like handling the tempo, handling the big plays. I don't know if Georgia could come back the way that Alabama did when it's down, you know, what was it, 28-7, whatever the score was. Georgia doesn't want to play from behind. They're not built to start, you know, big plays. We're going to come right back to all the things we're talking about. They want to be able to run the football. They want to use the play-action pass. They want to play the game that way. So I think withstanding that initial onslaught, and and we talked a lot about the first quarter success the Tennessee's had, all those things where they're doing motion, they'll build a first 15 plays or a first quarter script that will get you the information just by standard. They can go fast, though. They don't want to do the motions early. They want to go fast, figure out, all right, what are they doing versus this formation? What are they doing versus this formation? But we have plays that are built for everything, and they're built to go fast without checks. That, to me, is significant, too. Can they get, Don't give up the big play early. Because it also, and it's a crowd factor, too, the crowd gets the wind gets sucked out of the crowd too. If all of a sudden you give up two big plays at Tennessee, you look up, it's 14 nothing, then the panic starts setting. Yeah, like if you're Georgia and you win the coin toss, you're taking the ball first, right? Yes. Yes. You don't want to be down seven nothing. Yeah. No. But no. I I don't know. I mean, Kirby's a defensive guy. I he he may want the ball coming out of the half. Just depends. I, I just think the first quarter is going to be so crucial to how this game goes. His name is Jalen Hyatt. He wears number 11. (laughs) Many defenses this year have left him wide open. Guard him. Put put a couple eyes on him. Listen, if you're the safety to that side of the field and the other receiver cuts in on a slant and he's being covered, you don't have to go with him. Stay with Hyatt because he's not going inside. He's just going to go right by you. He's just doing that right there. A little bit more fallout from the Michigan-Michigan State fight, and it it's significant for the Spartans. Uh, Michigan State head coach Mel Tucker, along with athletic director Alan Holler, uh, released a statement on Tuesday announcing four new suspensions, among them including defensive end Jacoby Winman, one of the like top pass rushers, one of the best defensive players that they have here. Also defensive end Brandon Wright, cornerback Justin White, and cornerback Malcolm Jones. That brings our final total to eight players uh, who have been suspended indefinitely for their involvement in this fight. And Haller and Tucker in a joint statement said, we are transparently working with law enforcement in the Big Ten Conference to evaluate additional facts and evidence surrounding the events in Ann Arbor. We will continue to take appropriate action in this matter as we, as we learn more. The student-athlete suspensions will remain in place until the investigations are completed. Is Michigan State season done? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if they lose this week, they've got six losses, so they'll have to win out to get to a bowl game. And just, I mean, the Winman suspension is huge. Huge. That defense is not good to begin with, but that's a guy who is a captain of the team. He leads them in tackles for loss. He leads them in sacks. He's got an interception. He's broken up two passes. He's forced five fumbles. Like, in a defense that doesn't have a whole hell of a lot, he has been the most disruptive, kind of reliable force on the field. And he's also, as a captain, he's one of the leaders of that defense. So not having him, that's a very big blow to them. It's also a Michigan State defense that has been a real problem this year. And I don't think they were going to be that big of a problem at the beginning of the year, but they suffered a ton of injuries. Go back to all of our September shows. We're just cataloging all the guys that they lost, and they just looked hapless against Washington and a number of other teams. I mean, like Minnesota just pants these guys, and they Minnesota's offense hasn't looked decent since. So so that's your – now, they had moved Winman back to, like, stand up backer a little more than he was playing the end in recent games. 
But that's still like your best pass rusher agreed. A guy who started at corner against Michigan, another guy who started at end, the top backup end, at least by snap count, against Michigan. Uh, and I think a safety. So that seems like a lot. Also, about half of these guys, I think it was three of eight, maybe four of eight, I think three of eight, had been captains at some point this year for Michigan State. Uh, the, the other thing I think is notable on this, and on the Monday show, I had asked, like, hey, I want to know what led to this. And it's not justifying what Michigan's players did, but I, I, I was like, I hope more footage comes out so we can see. Like, we, we, we saw the Michigan State guys beating down the Michigan player. And then we had the second video, I think, post-show of the other guy, which kind of looked worse when, when the dude puts his helmet on and then, and then goes to swinging. I haven't seen anything other than just conspiracy theories from the Michigan State fans that, like, Michigan's guys caused this. So – it kind of makes me lean like a. Also, the fact that Michigan State isn't putting out anything, they're just like suspended guys. Yeah. It makes me think that this was just a jumping and not uh, like not something where the guy like started it and then, you know, then got whacked. Isn't it uh, the only thing I've heard as far as a reason was that you're supposed to let Michigan State all go in first and that, you know, number one comes skipping through and he's like, I'm just going to go by because we just won, not to excuse it at all because it's inexcusable the actions that took place. But that was the one thing I talked to uh, a couple guys this week about it. And they were like, well, you know, technically etiquette wise, you're supposed to let them all clear the way and then you go in. But that to me goes back to the flaw in the tunnel system that's created. Like that's not an issue at most stadiums because you don't you don't have it. You know, it's just not it's a non-starter. Their locker rooms, too, in that tunnel are right across from each other. I mean, you can see the doors like that doesn't make any sense either. But apparently it's been a thing. Every team that goes through there, there's always John that takes place back and forth. So it almost feels like this was inevitable. And I guarantee you over the years before cell phones, before tunnel cams and everything else, I guarantee there were more scuffles that took place. And hopefully they weren't as bad as this one, but definitely something that needs to be addressed. I do think it's fair to know, like, I don't think you deserve to get jumped because you went skipping through somebody's line, right? No, like, I'm, that's when, when we asked on Monday, I was like, look, yeah. man, like, what, what preceded this, right? Which I think it's a fair question to ask. And Michigan fans in, in the comment section got pretty pissy about it. And, like, I get why they would, but, like, we're 48 hours removed now from the Monday show and nothing has come out this yet. Right. Yeah. So now I think the Michigan fans are completely right about this. Michigan State has lost five of the last six. The Spartans are off to a one and four start in Big Ten play. They currently currently sit, oh, what a reality check, tied with Rutgers and Indiana for last place in the Big Ten East, <clears throat> their remaining schedule at Illinois this weekend. The aforementioned Rutgers and Indiana, both those games at home at Penn State for the finale. Not looking good for the Spartans. Yeah, they kind of have to win the Illinois game if they want to go bowling. Don't, don't, don't. 95 uh, mil. Looks bad when you're losing. Looks worse when you're having issues like this crop up too. Mel Tucker for Auburn. Let's go. Just jump (laughs) right out that side door. Just leave everything behind. Mel, I'm telling you, you could be back in the SEC. Come on home, baby. You can just leave all this behind you. Say, oops. I mean, Mel Tucker already did one and done at Colorado. He can do a quick two and out. Last Michigan State coach that ended up in the state of Alabama did pretty well. I'm just saying. (laughs) Let's go. Coming up on the other side, massive game between Alabama and LSU. All the CFP and on, they know why it's a top 10 matchup. They know why. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll get into actually what's going to happen on the field, our expectations for the game, and with a little twist, 
spotlighting this and other games that will carry even more significance with the expanded playoff era. Getting into all that and our October superlatives next. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now a reminder of the future college football playoff format. There will be 12 teams. There will be six of them that are conference champions. Uh, The four highest ranked conference champions, according to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee will get buys. Then there are going to be six at-large bids to fill out the entire 12-team bracket. As we look at the SEC and its current state, it is very realistic that in this play next playoff era, we could be looking at four teams all making the college football playoff, the SEC champion, and three teams competing for at-large bids. But it's potential that two of those teams that might have to be fighting for at-large bids or trying to put together their best case for this committee would be the one-loss Alabama Crimson Tide, which currently sit number six in the college football playoff rankings, and the two-loss LSU Tigers, which currently sit at number 10. So we can either get... Let's first go get into the matchup itself. LSU is a team that, Tom, you said that you, you like it a lot. You feel like you this this is a Tigers team that has really turned the corner. We have you know debated its resume. They have a loss to Florida State that in the season opener. They have a loss to Tennessee at home that was very lopsided. Do you think that they have turned the corner enough to be playing at home? And what can they to cause a real problem for Alabama? And what do you see as some of the big keys for the Tigers to make this a game and maybe even pull off the upset? I think they could make. They could be a problem for Alabama, yeah, especially if they don't screw things up on special teams. Because, like, if you look at their two losses, there was the opening loss to Florida State, which they missed an extra point that would have tied the game. Seminoles would have forced overtime. Seminoles win. And then the loss to Tennessee, like, they had the turnover quick. They muffed a punt. And they were just in a deep hole right from the very start in that game. And they were never able to dig out of it. Other than that, they've been a perfectly good football team. Jaden Daniels is playing well. That defense has been playing well. And I look at this matchup at home. Huge game. Top 10 matchup <laughs> uh, at night in Tiger Stadium against an Alabama team that I think is obviously one of the best teams in the country, but has not been a juggernaut Alabama team. I think there are plenty of flaws with that team as well. So I look at this matchup and I don't think I, I wonder. I wonder how effectively they'll be able to move the ball in the air against Alabama. But if they're able to get anything in the passing game, I think they can make it tough on the tide here. And defensively, I, I don't think you're going to stop Alabama. Bryce Young's going to have a great game. Jameer Gibbs is going to be difficult, but the tide don't really have an explosive passing attack outside the numbers. So if LSU could force them to beat them in that area, 
I think this is going to be kind of close. Mute. Muted. <laughs> Once per show. Quota. <laughs> All right. Um, so my numbers say this should be kind of close. And to Tom's point, basically, they also lost their starting left tackle uh, the night before the game. Remember, he had some kind of reaction or whatever it was and tweeted out the Instagram photo. And then they lost their left guard, Dellinger, almost immediately in that ball game. And they fumbled those, those uh, like they had the two crazy special teams plays right in a row. And I, I just think they kind of got snowballed when Tennessee's a team that can absolutely just, you know, just run you if that happens. But at the same time, I am a little bit skeptical of LSU in this matchup with LSU's offense. Their numbers are much better in recent games, but I, I do have to wonder, like with each passing game, these recent performances to me look a little bit less impressive. For instance, uh, Ole Miss's run defense apparently is just hot garbage now. We've seen that a couple weeks in a row. AM ran it mostly at will against them. Auburn certainly ran it all over them in Oxford. Uh, you can argue that was somewhat garbage time, but I mean, like Auburn had the ball, a chance to tie several times in that second half and creating explosive runs. Florida's defense is just a disaster. And so I'm a little bit skeptical that there isn't a covariance thing going on here where you're good, like you're good against bad. Does it translate in the same amount, even adjusting for opponent good against good, right? So Bama's run defense is pretty damn good. And nobody has really thrown the ball well on the tide uh, except for Tennessee, which is a very different animal. And I do think it's a game where Bama can get pressure without blitzing. And if Nick can do that, like I know that Florida State did not think very highly of LSU's offensive tackles. And they they whipped him in that opening game. Alabama still has Will Anderson, and they still have Turner. I think there's a pretty good chance that Alabama uh, makes LSU's offense look more like it looked against Auburn, which was like four-ish yards of play, or against Florida State, or I guess Mississippi State, right? They really didn't play super well in that one. That That's kind of my concern. I think LSU's defense is pretty good, though. I mean, they, they really could do something against Bryce, especially if – Alabama keeps having problems on the road communicating and having all these penalties. Like Alabama's defense on the road has not really been that big of a problem. And I say that looking like a clown here because Tennessee dropped a 50-burger on them. But for the most part, I think these road woes can be contributed to what they – or attributed, rather, to what they did on offense. I also think it becomes a challenge to protect Bryce Young, too, if, if that's where LSU, with crowd noise advantage, against a line that hasn't been fantastic, Agreed. protecting Bryce Young. I mean, he can get uncomfortable. He's already been dinged up. He's got the shoulder. Now he's mobile. He can get out. He showcased that, uh, you know, at various times throughout his career. I also think if in, you know, I would push back a little bit. I mean, Texas threw for almost 300. They didn't have the big touchdown plays, and they had a pretty good game plan. I mean, I saw Quinn Ewers looking pretty comfortable in the pocket, uh, Hudson Card pretty comfortable in the pocket, and D- uh, Jane Daniels is playing dynamic football. I mean, he counts for 20 touchdowns, only one interception. That's been a key, too, if you want to have a chance against Bama, if you get dynamic quarterback play, even if it's from an unlikely guy like Zach Calzada, I look back at him. I mean, that one game that he had where he looked like Aaron Rodgers and was slinging it around, you get a quarterback who gets hot and is capable of doing, which I would put Jaden Daniels in that category. He's been a different quarterback. Thank goodness he didn't open up the game the way he finished the game against Florida State, or they might be a one-loss team, you know, had he started off that way. I think, like, first, I mentioned special teams. Like, LSU's field position has been awful this year like they they are never getting short fields which makes it difficult on that offense but i think that the one thing i'm going to look at here for this matchup is 
when LSU has the ball first and second down, because they have been very good on first and second down. And if you look at the numbers for Alabama, defensively, they've been kind of not not bad, but for Alabama compared to everything else they do, that's kind of the soft spot is the early down. So if LSU can have success on the first couple of downs of each possession and keep moving the chains because of it, I think Alabama's going to have a tough time pulling away. Yeah, to Tom's go point. Or, go sorry, go ahead, Chip. No, you got it if you're following that. Well, to, to Tom's point, I mean, Alabama has been elite in terms of like success rate on early downs, but they have also been, uh, like, you know, r- relatively uh, pretty bad at some of this play action explosiveness stuff. Mm-hmm. So, will LSU trade getting stopped on first down for hitting some, some home runs? Potentially. Tennessee was willing to. I didn't grade the tape, I didn't sit down and, and grade the all 22, but. As I'm scanning over this and trying to break down the matchup, the inability of uh, Alabama running back, you know, be that Jameer Gibbs, uh, you know, be that uh, or a tight end to get a good chip, you know, to be in the right position on pass block, to have the right assignment. Harold Perkins is going to wreck shop in this game if they have those same kind of problems. Um, They've got a situation where the offensive line going up against Makai Wingo, BJ Ojolari. Like this is a like that's that to me is one of the things that I'll be looking at the most is when LSU really wants to tee off and send some of those special pass rushers at Bryce. Does our Alabama's not only offensive line but running backs going to be able to get in there and deliver the kind of blocks needed because as Bryce Young was getting tossed around by Tennessee's defense, I felt like a lot of those plays involved the running back in the backfield looking around both ways with his hands to the side. And that's that's not going to be a way that you uh, that you're going to be able to get in and out of Baton Rouge with a victory. How many points wins this game? Thirty. If you, if you gave Saban twenty four, you you good with that? You think he wants twenty seven, thirty something? I want thirty one. Thirty, yeah, thirty, low thirties. I think like, I think if you gave if you gave Nick twenty seven, he feels pretty good. So LSU's wide receivers can win one on one battles. Talent wise, they can go against Alabama defensive backs. And that that's always the, the fun twist. Everyone tries to like, what kind of quarterback do you need? To yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's it's wide receivers. It goes all the way back to Alshon Jeffrey. It includes Mike Williams. Like, it is the, a long thread of wide receivers who can win one-on-one battles. And I think the talent level of that LSU wide receiver room is awesome. And, you know, if Kayshawn Booty and Malik Neighbors and Thomas and the rest of those dudes shine, then – Ellis, you can just win the daggone ball game. Forget covering the spread. Do you think Bama gives them one-on-one opportunities? I think that's the other question, right? Like, can Bama pressure four and not have to play as much one-on-one stuff? Tennessee blocked Bama. They all—I mean, they also formationed them. They play actioned them. They—they scrambled them. It, it was. I'm sure LSU's going to try some of the same stuff. They don't run the same scheme, but I think so. I think they can get pressure just bringing four. All right, Danny, what do you, what do you think? Twenty-seven, thirty. I'd say 30, 30 plus. Mm. Mm. It's a top 10 matchup. In where opponent's dreams got to die. Um, <laughs> yeah, massive game. And, uh, and you know, Georgia, Tennessee, number one versus number one. That is the, the headline of the day. And Miami, Florida State is number two. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and this one is certainly uh, right up there in terms of significance. Now, one interesting piece of as we sit here and we wring our hands over TCU and its path to the playoff and the disrespect 
that the Big 12 has gotten from the college football playoff selection committee and the disrespect and the inconsistencies around the ranking of TCU. In the future, the Big 12, especially this season, would have one spot guaranteed, potentially two, I would say, the way that things are, are looking right now uh, and how things move. So the Big 12 title race, which, of course, just takes the top two teams in terms of winning percentage with tiebreakers, puts them in Dallas to play for the Big 12 title. That game would be for a playoff spot, which makes the Big 12 title race incredibly significant. Still significant here in 2022, but in the future playoff uh, implications, Texas and Kansas State in Manhattan is going to be massive. Texas has been off since the loss at Oklahoma State a spot where Steve Sarkeesian Longhorns teams fell to one in six in true road games, uh, where they saw a second-half lead evaporate. It's a common thread over the last season and a half. And Kansas State, of course, coming off one of the most, imp- one of the most stunning and impressive wins of the entire Big 12 season, winning 48 to nothing against Oklahoma State. How does this matchup break down to y'all? I want to start with a question. Like, If Martinez is healthy, are you playing him? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I agree with you, Danny. Howard's been so good. Yeah, right. I think Martinez might, might get well pipped. Yeah, and he's—I think he's a little better throwing the football too. Oh, a lot better. That's yeah. why. Let's put on our CFP and not hats again. <laughs> Adrian Martinez ever hurt to begin with? <laughs> Next Tuesday, I'm going to make a tinfoil hat. By the way, I think I've decided that we're going to start the stream and we're all going to have tinfoil hats on. He started the game against TCU, and then he was just suddenly out of the game. And I don't remember really seeing what it was that caused the injury. Or if you want to go super conspiracy, play Howard the rest of the way out. If you win out, you could say, well, we didn't have him playing when we lost to Tulane. We're a better team. We would have never lost that game. Now we're talking. (laughs) I I love that. I I mean, look, it's hard to have an adjusted net yards per attempt of under six and a half. You don't have any interceptions, but that's what Martinez has. Right, he's just like their passing offense with a- with Adrian Martinez is not resistant. Yeah. yeah, like mm-hmm. great. You avoid interceptions. You also avoid any type of success throwing the football when you're in there. Well, Howard is almost 11 yards per attempt adjusted. That's that's legit. Now, granted, like some of the explosive plays, cool, but those count. I, I think part of this game comes down to: Do you think Quinn Ewers was hurt going into the Oklahoma State game? Because there's some whispers behind the scenes about that now. Like, not enough to keep him out of the game, but uh, like some people have said, like, hey, he warmed up with a glove on his hand, which was kind of weird. It was and, a fingernail, and I heard. Yeah, in, in a door? Is that what you heard? I heard it was a fingernail that had separated from the nail bed, but he didn't think it was a big enough deal. But the when people are draw like, the first couple passes were way off. Like, the accuracy was just very much different from anywhere else. The whispers that I had heard was that it was, I, I don't know, fingernail to me seems like something that you should be able to play through without too much. We got a quarterback here, Denny. That's not where it is. I mean, that's, but I don't, uh, to me, I mean, wasn't that the windy day too? Like, it was. Yeah. If that wind can have an impact too. And if it's your thumb, that's got to have like a, because that's where you're putting pressure on the ball when you're holding it. Yeah, it all depends on where it is and like the pressure points. I mean, I, to me, I don't know. I watched him play. I thought he just made a lot of bad throws. <laughs> You know, I, I think that was all. I don't. I don't know. Um, I just uh, texted somebody who was on the call and said before the game nothing was brought up. But I mean, I, some coaches don't want to tell you anything anyway. So, 
My beautiful baby had a boo boo, and you guys are being mean to him. <laughs> we should have kissed. I love him too. We should make it better. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! No, I, so good. I, I look at this game like the thing is with Will Howard. I agree. I think he makes Kansas State's offense more dynamic. But I feel like the problem, even with Will Howard in the last few weeks, is like Kansas State's still not good on third down. And if you're going to like, you're not that explosive. And if you're going to keep pace with the Texas offense, which I expect coming off a bye is probably going to have a pretty decent night. I just wonder how that's like they they have just been horrible converting on third and fourth down. Could be significant. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it comes down to how many points you need to win this because you got to think Sark is able to scheme them to a couple explosive plays. Uh, Texas run defense has been really, really good on a down-to-down basis, but they do have a tendency to allow the explosive. Like they'll get out of a gap once in a while. Like they're pretty aggressive. They they get a lot of tackles for loss. They will give up the explosive one. But on the other hand, uh, you can complete a lot of passes against Texas. This is the other reason why I'm bringing up the Will Howard stuff because, right. like Texas seems to not allow a lot of big pass plays. Some certainly, and playing Oklahoma when Oklahoma's running glorified wildcat for 60 minutes is helpful. Uh, in, in your overall pass numbers. But, man, like most of these decent quarterbacks that have played Texas so far have been able to stay ahead of the chains throwing the football. And that's kind of – I think you got a better chance chucking it around against Texas than you do just just straight running it. So that's the thing, though. Like if you suddenly go with Will Howard, because if you look at Kansas State's run rate over expected, they are 9.5% over the expected. And so, you know, that which is just a fancy way of saying they sure run the ball a whole hell of a lot. Like, are you suddenly going to change your identity on offense in this game? Like, is that something you feel comfortable doing? Or, that, like, well, they still got Deuce Vaughn you can run the football with, and then you've got a quarterback who can run a little bit and throw you. I don't know. I think it's always better. I mean, Adrian Martinez was pretty one dimensional, but and I think it stems from his coordinator, Colin Klein, who was pretty one dimensional as a player himself, was building the system around him. But if you've got somebody who's who you trust more throwing the football, there's also the dynamics I don't know, and I don't think any of us would. Like, what's the dynamic within that team in the locker room? Like, Adrian Martinez is newer. Like, does he have has he established that much leadership where you know the players are going to mutiny? You know, well, why you got to play the senior? Or is it, hey, with this guy's, we know him too. Like, he's been around just as long. Let's let's roll with this guy because we can. The receivers might be like, yes, this is awesome, and everybody might realize it. You just don't know what's going on inside. Can Bijan move the ball against this Kansas State defense? Yeah, we talk yeah. about chucking it around against them. You think what about the balance there? I think I, I think Kansas State has been better defensively against the pass, and they like they're not bad against the run by any stretch. But I think that against the run, they are gettable. And I think that in an offense in which they have to worry about covering, you know, Quinn Ewers, Xavier Worthy, all those guys, there's gonna be lanes. And I think that honestly, just Bijan Robinson is so freaking good that whether it's in the run game or in the pass game, as long as you get the ball into his hands, I don't know how many defenses are out there that are really going to stop him. The, the two teams who could actually throw the football when they played Kansas State did have success throwing the football. And that would be Oklahoma and TCU, right? Like they played the Texas Tech team when they were playing Donovan Smith, who's not, he's like clearly the number three thrower of the football on, on that Tech roster. They played Missouri, who has Brady Cook, who's not very good at throwing the ball. Oklahoma State, I, I think it's pretty fair to say they were ding. Gundy basically just punted the entire – like they just ran the ball the, the second half and just got out of there and just kind of you know conceded. I don't know. Like if and you're Texas, I think you're thinking we're going to score 30-plus here. 
Easy. I think you have. I think you have to go in with that mindset. Both those teams, too, Oklahoma TCU, both had 100 yard rushers, including TCU, went off for 153. Mm. That's right. Good note there. <clears throat> also, in the future college football playoff era, there will not just be spots for five. You know, there are five power conferences, five conference champions, but also a sixth, which means that based on the way that the college football world has been set up in recent years, the American Athletic Conference, the Sun Belt, that those are going to be conferences that hope to be able to have a conference champion that is highly ranked. And there, in the Sun Belt, there is a one-loss team that was not included in the College Football Playoff Selection Committee Top 25 and was on the verge or maybe cracked the AP Top 25 for like a split second or was on the verge of it before a loss to Old Dominion. But the 7-1 Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, Grayson McCall led, Jamie Chadwell coached. They are hosting App State on Thursday night in a game that holds massive significance to that Sun Belt East race. Now, Coastal Carolina, because of the loss to ODU, a win here does not, you know, have this smooth sailing the rest of the way, though, with, you know, James Madison not being a team that can play for the Sun Belt Championship, with Virginia still on the schedule, not a game that impacts the Sun Belt title. This is one of two final games on the Sun Belt schedule for the Chanticleers. Both of those games are at home. Southern Miss will be the uh, conference finale for them. App State, not out of the race, even though they've already got a couple of conference losses. And a head-to-head win here against Coastal Carolina would give them a very important edge in the race. So, Coastal Carolina, App State, what are we looking for? What are the expectations on Thursday night? I think Quarterback and coaching advantage to Coastal. Line to scrimmage advantage, probably big State. to App. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I think App's the right side here. Um, personally, the way that Old Dominion was able to move the football on Coastal is very concerning if you're looking about Coastal here because Old Dominion, I mean, Georgia State just trashed their offensive line. Right. And like, I think Old Dominion has problems up front, and they did not have any problems up front against Coastal. App has a fairly decent run blocking offensive line, and they just ran it down Georgia State's throat in, in the final three quarters of that Thursday night game two weeks ago. That and then throw off play action. You don't ask Chase Bryce to do too much. That's probably where I'm going in this. Yeah. Uh, App State, if you look at what they've done offensively, like, Chase Bryce is having a nice season, uh, but they do have they they've been really explosive in the passing game. Like they're thirty third in explosive play rate in the passing, or not? Sorry, that's the wrong one. But they're at nineteen point three percent explosive passing rate, which ranks twenty uh, sixth nationally. Now you go to the other side and look at Coastal Carolina's defense, and they rank one hundred and twenty second in explosive play rate allowed. So, I agree with you. I think they definitely have the QB advantage. I think they've got the coaching advantage or the head coach advantage, not the overall. But I just think that this is an App State team that if you look at what they've been able to do well and you line it up against what Coastal's been awful at defensively, because that's been the thing like with these Chanticleer teams the last few years that have been really good. Defensively, in the Sun Belt, and that context, they've been one of the better teams in the league. That's not the case this year. They are far more vulnerable because of it. So I look at this one. I think App State's going to win. I think just they're going to be able to – it's going to be hard for Coastal to get them off the field, and I think App State can actually get some stops in this game. So that leads me towards the Mountaineers. I'm just glad Chase Price found a home. Where he's happy, yeah. It was a, it was a bumpy ride, right? We had we had some fun with him last year, uh, but he's finally settled in. 
I don't know. I, I, you guys are probably on the right side because I was leaning coastal. And the way my picks are going this year, I'm at that point where you just fade yourself. Like, do the, <laughs> yeah, just do the opposite of what you think you should do. I'm getting to that point of desperation. Um, the other thing, too, is either one of these coaches, how long are they going to be there? You know, with all these job openings, Jamie Chadwell always comes up. Please get Chadwell to Georgia Tech for the love of God. It just makes <laughs> sense. And his yeah. offense, I think, is so creative. That's that's why it allows you to be extremely efficient, which he's got a quarterback who's been one of the more efficient quarterbacks ever since he started as a freshman. I'm going to say that Sean Clark might be posted up for a while. Not as a disrespect to Sean Clark. It's just played he, there. Yeah, he played there. Yeah. It's from West Virginia. I guess just like it just seems like he's he's real comfortable. He's a former offensive lineman who's built a team that has a great offensive line. Like it is like true that App State team is the imprint of its head coach, which is in my eyes a good thing, at least in terms of knowing who you are. All right, one last thing before we get to the superlatives, uh, we two teams that are from the group of five in the college football playoff selection committee rankings, number nineteen, Tulane, seven and one overall, four and zero in conference play at Tulsa favored by just seven and a half and UCF six and two overall, but three and one in conference play at Memphis, just a three and a half point favorite. Is either team getting knocked off this weekend? Upset alert sirens for anybody. UCF. And Memphis is so weird, but so it's a Gus Malzahn football team that lost the week <laughs> before you lost the week before Cincinnati in a game. It shouldn't have lost and now just beat Cincinnati. I mean, it's Gus Melzahn. They're going to lose this game. I love that. Is Mikey Who's playing Keen quarterback? The guy? For UCF? Yeah, no, that's I mean, what I was like, asking. I think it's Keen. He got knocked out, so it might be Keen. Yeah, they sent Keen to go. Oh, he looked uh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. <laughs> they sent Keen to like the weekly radio show or whatever UCF has gone with our guy Ryan Bass podcast NASA themed space station stuff. Saw Mikey Keene was the guest this week. Uh, go and check that out. Shout out to Ryan. So UCF, watch out. You think Tulane take care of business in Tulsa? Well, Tulsa's quarterback might be hurt still. Yeah. Mm. Right? So I mean, Bren went down, and the other kid is much more of a runner uh, than mm. than Bren is. So I, Tulane seems to be cooking pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to lose to Tulsa. Tulsa's got some good corners, though. The, I think the kid's name is Davis. I was watching that, uh, that Temple game intently since I had a lock on it. That dude's pretty locked down. Like, it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me if he ends up playing in the NFL or something. Um, but I, I I trust Tulane here. Yeah, I don't think Tulane loses this game, but I am convinced they're going to lose a game at some point. Do they play Cincy regular season? I don't know, but I'm just. It's, I think they're a very good team, but there's just too many flaws. But then again, when you're in the American, maybe you get flaws. No, yeah, they finish with UCF, SMU, and Cincy. They're going to lose at least one of those games. Yeah. Coming up on the other side, you've been waiting all month, and it's finally time. The cover three superlatives for the month of October. Who gets the award? We'll find out next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Oh, thank you all for joining us for the Cover 3 Superlatives as we hand out our awards for the month of October. Everyone looks fantastic. Insert joke here. You on the front row. Insulting comment. Now I get slapped by somebody's husband. Okay, so for <laughs> the player of the month, for the month of October, we, we kind of teased some of the suggestions coming into this. What are the nominations? Who are the players that you think should be finalists for this award before we make a group decision on who takes it home? Well, is this going to be just like the Heisman and we're just going to list the best quarterbacks? Doesn't have to be. <laughs> no, make a case for somebody else. Let's hear it. Here's my nomination. Chase Brown. Uh, no. Yeah. No. Chase, Chase Brown I, made my short list. Not yeah. on mine. Uh, Jalen Hyatt. Just going to read Jalen Hyatt's month of October for you, okay? targeted 30 times, caught 22 of them for 582 yards, 11 touchdowns. No other receiver in the country had more than six in the month. He had 11, and he didn't drop a single damn pass. This no is drops. a guy that averaged nearly 20 yards per target, not per completion, not per attempt, per target. He averaged nearly 20 yards. Just looking at him and throwing the ball in his direction was an average of 20 yards for your offense. To me, that was the best month of the season for any player in the country. I think he's also averaging like 20 yards of separation from the nearest defensive back on some of those. That was that was really impressive. Uh, okay, I yeah, I had Hyatt on my short list. Obviously, um, I saw who Danny put in the chat, so I'm not not going to take his. Uh, I think Quentin Johnston probably deserves a, a mention. Like that's a guy we we were talking about in September. Didn't do a whole lot. Really woke up and carried TCU uh, throughout the month of October. Doesn't quite have Hyatt's numbers in terms of the touchdowns, but. Uh, among guys who have at least 35 targets on, on the month, he's one of the highest success rates. And uh, all five of those games they played were were pretty important games. Like TCU had a five-game month. So, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive for him to carry those guys. And they were all bangers. Yeah. Every single. Needed every single one of those guys. Yes. <laughs> I almost considered JT Tuiomalau just for the performance he had against Payton State. All, that's a month's worth of work. <laughs> In one game, but if you look at the rest of the month, not quite as much production. I'm going with my guy, my man crush, Drake May, in the month of May. You look at, uh, excuse me, in the month of May. In the month of October, what he meant, four wins in a row, five touchdowns against Pitt, zero interceptions, win against Duke. The win against Miami statistically wasn't that great, but one of the plays that he made in that game where he had a dude draped all over him uh, was very Patrick Mahomes-ish. And I think, again, I said this before, I don't know if there's a player in the country that's meant as much to his team. Put the team on his back as much as Drake May has meant to North Carolina. If he's not there, they're probably three or four lost team right now. And the fact that he is uh, is one of the reasons they're even thinking about, you know, sniffing that top 15, top 10. I mean, listen, we we heard that Jacoby Criswell was right there. That's what Mac Brown told us. So it must be awesome. I did want to bring up Chase Brown. Uh, Chase Brown in the month of October, th uh, 25 carries, 129 yards, 31 carries, 146 yards, 41 carries, 180 yards against Minnesota, 32 carries, 149 yards. When we go into the 
the similar to Drake May, like the most valuable player, how much you mean to your team, how much you mean to your offense. Chase Brown has been an absolute monster. He has already eclipsed uh, 1,200 yards on the season. Only five touchdowns, which almost feels like a little bit of an anomaly, but in the last two games, he's also added a receiving touchdown to his total as well. So I wanted to highlight Chase Brown, who the Illinois defense is one of the best in the country, but the way that Illinois works itself into a top 20 ranking is because they have that complement of Chase Brown on the ground. A couple other candidates, although hi, it's my top. Um, Izzy Abenaconda who rushed for 10 touchdowns and 607 yards during the month. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, who kind of like what you're saying with Chase Brown at Illinois, I feel like he's been a huge part for UCLA did in the month. And another player who I'm always getting crap for hating. Bo Nix. Yep. Bo Nix had an amazing month of October. And he deserves deserves some recognition here. All right. Agreed. Who who are we going to give the award to? I'm okay with Jalen Hyatt. I'm okay with Jalen Hyatt, too. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Congratulations to Tennessee wide receiver Jalen Hyatt. You are the Cover 3 Podcast Player of the Month for the month of October. Here, I mean, are we going to get a daggum sweep? Is this about to be a full sweep? I don't think so. Okay, team of the month. (laughs) Who is the team of the month for the month of October? I'm going to go back to, to TCU here. Right, so definitely a, t- a tougher overall schedule than than Tennessee had. TCU played five conference games: Oklahoma, Kansas on the road, host Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and then they they finished it off with going to West Virginia. Now, some of those are not amazing teams, but there's no off week in those. All all those games, if you didn't if you don't play a good game, if you just play poorly, you're going to lose. There's no MAC team in the middle of that. There's no Tennessee Martin. There's no bye week. It is really tough to play five games against Power 5 teams that don't suck. So I'll make a case for TCU here. I mean, like, yes, we can say that some of those quarterbacks got hurt, and they did, right? Kansas State was down to their third stringer for a good portion of that game. TCU could have lost there. There's no doubt about it, right? Uh, Kansas didn't have Daniels in the second half of that game. Sure. Now, TCU was up big by the time they knocked Gabriel out of that yeah. game. Like they were they were going to thump them either way. So I'll put TCU up as the team of the month because we already gave one to Hyatt. But if you guys think Tennessee, I, I have a hard time arguing against that. I just want to there are other good teams this month. I'm oh, with yeah. TCU. TCU that's your that's your number one like nomination? Mm-hmm. TCU won five games in October. You know how many other teams won five games? Mm-hmm. None. No, it's I agree. Like it's not just like I think Tennessee had the biggest win of the month. And if you want to go with the most impactful for the season because they're number one in the college football playoff ranking, I think it's a great argument to say Tennessee is the team of the month. But I think from top to bottom, TCU had an overall better month. They didn't have any UT Martins in there. And if you look at just the way they performed in there, I, I would go TCU. Other teams I would look at besides Tennessee, uh, Georgia. Tennessee is my my nominee, by the way. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Georgia, because despite what Chip says, Georgia absolutely dominated everybody in the month of October. They outscored their opponents by 113 points, and more importantly, in four games, outgained them by 1,043 yards. (laughs) So that was a very dominant performance from Georgia. And then uh, my other team of the month was Ohio State. We finally got to see Ohio State. Mm -hmm. It was great, you know? They'd really, they'd been missing. I'd, I've been really wishing I could see some of the Buckeyes. Buckeyes did show up in the month. So my, <clears throat> we're going to get to 
game of the month here in just a little bit. And that's where I'm not going to like fight against TCU, but it felt like TCU was more in a lot of the best games of the month and just happened to be a player in it than necessarily the, like, I think that Tennessee, the way that it has just continued to improve, because you're right, the Tennessee that played against Pitt doesn't look like the number one team in the country, but I think the team that played against Pitt has gotten better. I think the team that played against Pitt has continued to get better uh, at every at every step, and that almost the win against Kentucky was like the fully fledged like, oh crap, this team is really really good. Like they really might go and play for a national championship. But two to one, I'll take. I think we can hand it to TCU. Add some diversity to the uh, to the mix. TCU, congratulations! You are the Cover Three Podcast Team of the Month. Can't wait until Jordan does a deep fake over this entire segment. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. What about Coach of the Month? I, we roast a lot of coaches here. We roast them on Saturday night. We roast them on upon further review. Let's 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 give some praise to some coaches. Who wins Coach of the Month all for right. the month of October? I'm going to go full Homer here. Brett Bilma. This guy has Illinois at seven and one and in the college football playoff rankings in only his second season. An Illinois program that has been dog doo-doo for a very long time and really has... It's like, for an Illinois fan, competing to go to a bowl game was like, oh boy, we went six and six. Yay, we're going to the uh, whatever crappy mortgage.com bowl to play Louisiana Tech. He's got Illinois at seven and one, in the college football playoff ranking and considered not only the favorite, but considered by everybody to be the best team in the big 10 West. So for when you look at that and just compare it to the context of the program, he took over and the situation that program was in, like how could he not be the coach of the month? I had Chris Kleiman on the list for consideration. You've had to overcome some adversity this year. Kansas state has seemingly addressed that. Um, Brett Bielema, obviously under consideration as well. But who else did you want to spotlight? I, how about Jim Mora? Three and one at UConn. Hey. hey. I mean, uh, Mike McIntyre, two wins this month at FIU. Honestly, yeah. like FIU was looking like maybe the worst team I've ever seen in my ratings. And they, they seem to have really gelled and come together. So uh, that could be a miracle. Avalos at Boise won't win this, but. He made the move to fire the OC, and uh, that team looks like they're playing hard again. And they just did not look like they cared to play for him for the month of September. So that's a decent one. Dan Lanning? Uh, sure. Yeah. I think so. I mean, the you've had two road wins in that stretch, and you've had the one thing that, you know – Tom and I were hating out here. Like first year coach, big win, going on the road. No way. But they, you know, had the slow start, turned things around. They've done a good job uh, leveling things out as well. Last one for me, Whittingham. Uh, right, M- making the call to go for the fourth down against USC, winning the road game at Washington State without your quarterback without your your best tight end in Kuthi, without your you know, your second best tight end who gets dinged up in that game. Uh, they beat a pretty good Oregon State team. I mean, like they got a little lucky with turnovers, but still it navigated the difficult month at Utah 
Uh, and I, I think a lot of that was just quality coaching. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw Whittingham in there as well. Final nominee is Brian Harson. Getting a lot of money. Doesn't have to do anything. Gets the rest of the year off. That's a pretty good month. And we can't love it. If we're going to make graphics for this, we can't have Brian Harson as the cover three podcast <laughs> coach of the month. It would click. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it for November because he had the best November. Who had the best November? All these coaches that were sweating, trying to lock up their recruiting classes while they were sweating the end of the season and navigating all these injuries. Or was it Brian Harson who did not work a day? <laughs> Brian Harson's pushing the shopping cart at Home Goods as, as his wife buys the extra Christmas decorations. And <laughs> yeah, because a bunch of a lump sum of that payout buyout money is due within 30 days. November's going to be sweet for Brian Harson. Okay. Merry Christmas to the Harson family this year. <laughs> oh, Hank in the chat with a good one. Hot Cedar Fields had a, a wild October. Yes, he did. Uh, Spencer Hall on Twitter said was just threw, just let a, a demon out into the universe when he's like, hmm, Clemson trying to secure an ACC championship. Scott Satterfield and Louisville trying to get rid of each other at the same time. Louisville and Clemson in a late season game. Hmm. Mm, that'd be that's a wouldn't it be hilarious Hall of Fame type result right there if if it play, plays out that way. Uh, but I've I've got no problem with Bielma. I think we can get Bill. Yeah. You know what? I actually, I, I want to go with Jim Mora now. I didn't consider that, but he won three or four games at UConn. That's and more Jim, than getting Illinois to seven and one. I think. He got a power five win. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But all right. Outvoted me. So it's Bill. There you go. Bang. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's do Jim Mora, right? Screw it. Let's, let's do yeah, it. Jim, congratulations to Jim Mora Jr. I just want to keep you all motivated for November. You know, we got a lot of big games coming up this month. And he did it while um, navigating a haunted house, using it to his advantage. I mean, just impressive stuff there uh, from Jim Moore. And finally, uh, not finally. Is like, what if the ghost is a football expert? Or what if the ghost is spying on his opponents? Huh? Huh? We got like a little spy gate going on. They don't know he's there. He's like Jalen Hyatt. Supernatural spy gate is next level right there. Though I don't think that you needed a spy to let you know where the injury issues were on Boston College's roster. Boston College has ghosts playing on the offensive line. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, and uh, the game of the month, there was an absolute banger that resulted. And look, I mentioned TCU Kansas State made my list. TCU Oklahoma State made my list. Utah USC made my list. Um, there, There were a lot of awesome ones. There was one result that had us holding the finest gas station cigars we could find here on the Cover 3 podcast. Is it anything other than Tennessee, Alabama? No. No, it's definitely not game. Okay. You want to throw out any nominees just so we can have them spoken into the universe? Uh, Utah, USC. Uh, Oklahoma State, Texas. I thought he, I don't know if you guys watched Houston Memphis. I thought that was a very fun game. And then just honorary Miami 14, Virginia 12. Uh, <laughs> Four overtimes. <laughs> Four overtimes, zero touchdowns. The only time the ball crossed the plane was a two point conversion in the fourth overtime. <sighs> mm, beautiful stuff. Does UConn play on, on our, our air this month? All, all the rest of the way. 
Yeah. They're like at home on CBS Sports Network almost the entire rest of the season. You think they can, they can uh, um, we can get CBS to put our award in the game notes so the announcers uh, parroted on the air? If Sherry is on uh, the call for one of these games, then definitely. What if Hassel's doing it? We'll see. I'll let's uh, we can we can look into this and we can uh, we can effort a way to uh, to get it into the broadcast call. Let's see. A talking point for any UConn game is like manna from heaven. I bet you we can get him to do this. <laughs> oh no, Sherry's going to be on big CBS uh, with Rich Walton, Aaron Taylor. We've got Air Force Army, so. That's a that's a big CBS game at eleven thirty uh, a.m. A double header on CBS Air Force and Army at eleven thirty a.m. Followed by Georgia and Tennessee at three thirty. Watch on CBS. Stream on Paramount Plus. Okay, game of the we game of the month. It is Tennessee over Alabama in Knoxville. Yeah. All right, Tom. It's time for the Fernellis. All right, well, I guess I could cross Ghost Hunter of the Month off the list of awards <laughs> I was giving out. It <laughs> went to Jim Mora, by the way. Uh, we'll start with the uh, Made Me Look Bad Award. Uh, Sam Hartman for just doing whatever the hell that was he was doing on Saturday after I led the quarterback power rankings with a lead about how great Sam Hartman has been, and then I made Wake Forest my lock of the week and locked it up on here, and it was a lock unity, and then he goes out and just poops all over the field. Uh, my Jamar Chase of the Month award, Jackson Smith and Jigba. <laughs> my fan of the month, the Ohio State fan who told me I better hope he doesn't run into me in the street because I put C.J. Stroud at number two in those previously mentioned quarterback power rankings. You're taking Listen, it a little too seriously. That fan better hope he's not running into you else. He's in danger of being attacked by an eagle. <laughs> Tom yeah. lives in the middle of nature right now. He's fighting off deer and eagles and all kinds of uh, all kinds of aggressive be- animal behavior. I nearly crapped my pants yesterday while walking the dog. Yes, a giant golden eagle swooped down on us, and like I had headphones on, so I didn't hear anything coming. And I was just sitting there walking down the path in the forest, and just a giant, giant bird zooms right past my head so much that you know, like you could feel your hair move. And I honestly think, because these things go after bear cubs, I honestly think it was trying to size up my dog. And then when it got close enough, it realized, nah, it's not going to work. But it scared the hell out of me. Yeah, that, um, that Ohio State fan's not ready to go after an eagle. No. It can't step into your arena. <laughs> that eagle would have whipped my ass. It would have whipped the dog's ass. We'd have been running through the trees hiding. Who am I kidding? Uh, our Cover 3 Listener of the Month. We mentioned this on a show previously a couple weeks ago. The Miami fan named Cover 3, who on a message board said he knocked out a Duke fan and is probably going to get a divorce because of it, but it was well worth it because the Duke fan was talking-ish. and You can't get away with that after beating Miami, apparently. Uh, <laughs> i got two more awards here. Uh, the Tinfoil Hat of the Month award goes to Bud for thinking that the playoff committee is just putting the rankings together specifically for television talking points. I agree with you that they're clueless. I do not agree with you on that part. <laughs> I literally had a coach just text me during these awards right now. He, he, he does not watch our show live. He goes, dude, you are totally right about this. It's clearly fake. Uh, he goes, but it does help us in the polls with recruiting. And then so finally, take- my locks expert of the month is no longer here but giving it to Danny 
for going <laughs> and 28 with his locks in the month of October. Now he's still killing it with the money line sprinkles, but just his, his locks themselves, 15 and 28, just over a third. It's not great. Danny do better. Start tomorrow. He also, I think has a winning record against me in fights somehow. Like, <laughs> out of all the Danny picks I could pick to fight, like I mean, sixteen and twenty-eight is literally just you're profitable if you, if you just you're rich as hell if you go twenty-eight and sixteen, right? Apparently, mm-hmm. I pick I pick the sixteen to fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and I guess we can give our AP Voter of the Month award, our poll assassin, to the one and only Don Williams. We'll call it the Don Williams Award, and we'll just keep giving it to Don Williams every. The Don month. Williams Award has been given to Don Williams for the second month in a row. Congratulations to Don Williams. It's Lubbock Review Journal, right? Yep, Lubbock. Think Don would come on the show. I bet he would. Yeah, probably good sport. Yell at me about my thoughts on his rankings. Hey, listen, we're always down for a rebuttal, but maybe not on the show. I don't know. No promises there. <laughs> we'll, we'll pre-record something, and if it's good, then maybe we'll include it in the show. Is we still gotta have a barrier for entry here? If it's as bad as his ballot. We'll just cut it. Just cut it. No, this is a, we got to have some quality control here on the cover three podcast. That's what we believe in. Dang it. Congratulations. Once again, to our cover three podcast player of the month, Jalen Hyatt to our cover three podcast team of the month, TCU to our cover three podcast coach of the month, Jim Mora and our cover three podcast game of the month, Tennessee over Alabama. And of course, to the many winners of the Fornellis for the month of October. And you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fornelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.